We want to welcome in our center worshipers as they are zooming in with us now as we get uh, ready to take another step together. And uh, the Bible tells us in uh, Exodus chapter 14 and verse 21, the Bible records these words. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And all that night, the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided. In verse 22, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. Can you imagine several hundred thousand people that were even close enough in general proximity to see such an incredible miracle? Can you imagine for just a moment, maybe there were some talking at the back since there were close probably to two million people. Maybe there some at the back, maybe some small children in one of the tribes toward the back say, hey, we can't see what's going on up there, mom. What's going on up there, dad? And I mean, can you imagine the incredible, unbearable suspense as an old man, and that's what Moses was, as he picked up that staff, lifted it up, and began to wave it over this obstructing sea and an eastern wind from heaven began to blow a wind that tugged at those long beards and the cloaks of those that were watching mostly I would suspect those that were skeptics and they watched more than anything slack jawed as the downdraft intensified, and as they did so, that wind hit water and began to plow through the sea, and the waves began to compound on each side, no doubt bringing foam and fury. And what was on one side, dry land and a gateway to one, was about to become a graveyard to the other. And this morning, as we just get started with that incredible Old Testament picture, I remind you, it more than likely, we could say, is probably the most dramatic lesson in all of the Old Testament. Certainly one of God's most dramatic and greatest lessons ever unfolded. But the Old Testament, and really the entire Bible, is filled with these moments of God's deliverance. I want to read for you a similar account from the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter number 3. I'm going to begin reading in verse number 14. Even though evidently the water wasn't quite of, as large of a span as the Red Sea, in the moment just years later that the children of Israel are going to cross over that Jordan River at, at outrageous time of the year when the water, the Bible tells us, was out of the banks, a similar thing took place. I read from Joshua chapter 3 beginning in verse 14. And so when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Verse 15, now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priest who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away. 
at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan, while the water flowing down from the Sea of Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over the opposite Jericho. And there the priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all of Israel passed by. The whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. It is amazing how God delivers his people collectively, whether it be a Red Sea or a Jordan River. But our Bibles also are amazing when it comes to how God delivers individuals in times that there's great danger and huge peril. I read from you two verses that you know all too well from 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 48 and 49. Do you remember these verses? As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching down into his bag, taking out a stone, he slung it and it struck the Philistine on the forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. God delivering a servant called to something, a major task in the face of tremendous odds. God delivering. One of my favorite accounts, and really I think underspoken about, underpreached, underutilized, and at least in my humble opinion, in terms of biblical teaching, is a moment when one of God's great prophets by the name of Elijah had sustained himself, or God had sustained him through a time of really turmoil. And he sent him of all places, not to a real prosperous house, but to the house of a widow that, 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 that had a, a child that was just struggling, just eking out a meager existence, and just barely surviving. And here comes this stranger, this prophet, to her home in which he announces, I'm I'm hungry, would you make me something to eat? And she lets him know, I have so very little, but yes, I will obey you. Listen to what the Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 15 and 16. She went away and did as Elijah told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord that was spoken by Elijah. Would you just jot down, no blank for it on your outline, our next principle. As we are looking at principle after principle that we're going to need as we make this passageway, as we make the passage in the journey of transformation in our church life, As we do so, there are important lessons that we need to hold dear and near our hearts. And today, I want to unfold this principle for you. It's very simple, but it is very important. It's the principle that trusting, we've got to be able to trust God to deliver us in His unique way. If you and I could understand better in much more application, where it's more applicable to what we're trying to accomplish. The fact that God will deliver us in his unique way. Time and time again, not just here, but anytime people face challenges, 
I hear people say, I don't think we can do it. And I have to stop every single time and agree, I don't think we can do it either. But I believe God can do it through us. And so as we just unpack these incredible truths around this one element, trusting God, we don't do well that as evangelicals because we want things in our control. We want to chart the path. We want to see the bar graph. We want to see visual proof. But that's not faith. Faith is not visual proof. For thousands of years, people have been putting their faith in the unseen. And our Lord and Savior says, now that is true faith. You trust me completely. And so this morning, as we think about God's deliverance, Delivering his people corporately. Delivering individuals that are in tough spots. People that love him and follow him. God does that over and over. I want you to consider three things. Let's jot them down together. First of all, consider God's miraculous ways. Wouldn't you say all four of these accounts that we've read today, whether it be the Red Sea, crossing the Jordan, whether it be David slinging a small stone, well, we think it was fairly small, big enough to kill a giant, amen? Or whether it was... The refilling of a jar that no doubt sat on a counter or a shelf of oil and flour. God truly delivers us in miraculous ways. You know, our Bible speaks to that in totality, from beginning to end. Deuteronomy chapter 23 and verse 14 says, The Lord your God walks in the midst of your camp to, listen to it, to deliver you. Psalm 34, verse 19 says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Listen to one of the great books, Job chapter 5 and verse 19. Did you get that? The book of Job. That triggers something in our minds. We just spoke through that incredible book here just a few months ago. The book of Job chapter 5, 19 says, He shall deliver you in six troubles. You're going to go through six hard times. But then the Bible says in Job 5, 19, yes, in the seventh, no evil shall touch you. Deliverance. Over in the New Testament, 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, he, speaking of God, knows how to deliver the godly out of the temptations. Listen in our New Testament to Galatians chapter 1 and verse 14. Christ himself gave for our sins that he might deliver us from this evil age. Psalm chapter 50 and verse 15, call upon me the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Listen to what Paul wrote to a young preacher by the name of Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 18. The Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his great kingdom. You see, we've got to come to embrace something very important. It doesn't matter where it's financial woes or marital problems, emotional confusion, harm and danger, whether it's self-destructive habits, whether it's the disease or peril or problem, whether it's evil work or tribulation, our God will deliver us. Can I hear an amen? He will deliver us. And so what I want you to embrace with me today is this. 
how can you and I get a better handle on God's perspective when it comes to deliverance? I would think after 10 New Testament and Old Testament passages, after four vivid examples of corporate and individual deliverance, I would hope that by now I have you thinking at least in some parallel lines that our God is more than able to deliver. But what is his perspective? How does he work these things? Well, we know the first we've written down is he works things at times through a miraculous way. And we know immediately that no two deliverances seem to be the same. No cookie-cutter approach here. No standardized approach for God. In fact, history tells us there's not one, not one same size fits all. Everything is singular and special, unique and tailor-made just for what God is going to do in an individual or a corporate group of those that he's called to accomplish certain things for him. Man, if we could just embrace that. Oftentimes as a pastor, I hear this question a lot. Pastor, and mostly at a hospital, mostly when there's devastating news, do I hear this question? Pastor, do you think God still works? miracles and I always have the same answer yes I do believe that God still works great miracles but I believe that he does it very sparsely I believe that because the scripture teaches us something important you know when you take the average person off the street that's not a follower, that's not even a believer. Maybe their grandparent or maybe a parent drug them to church a little bit when they were younger and they would learn some incredible Bible lessons. I point this way because that's the direction of our children's area, preschool areas. And you know, they learned about parting the Red Seas. They learned about a stone and a giant getting knocked down and really hurt, put to death. I mean, they learn about those incredible moments of miracle. But you know, those miracles are not as so many think the Bible being just filled with oh miracle after miracle after miracle. Really, when you look at the totality of text and the amount of years that go by, miracles were really pretty much not in obscurity, but very seldom performed. In fact, more, many more days didn't have miracles than days that did. And we know from a theological standpoint, these miracles came in something we called clustering. You think as we've been kind of looking at, not anchoring exclusively, but looking at a lot the, from the book of Exodus. Man, there's a cluster of miracles. Water coming from rocks. Clouds of fire. Parting of seas. I mean, this was a moment of dramatic action and God's hand was majestically evident with these great miracles. But you know, there's 40 years of wandering that we hear very little about. Why no, when they rejected all, during all of those deaths, we hear of few or no miracles. Years go by at times. In fact, after this Exodus account and after we see the children in conquest into the very promised land, so little is shared in terms of miracles. It's not till Elijah and Elisha appear in terms of prophets that we begin to really see a clustering of more miracles and then we go through hundreds of years in the intertestamental period where we don't hear anything 
We don't even have a clue to what was going on. And then all of a sudden, the New Testament opens up for us the understanding that during the life of Christ, miracles, clustering. And then during that early apostolic age when the apostles were empowered by the Holy Spirit, we see some great miracles. But I would suggest to you that those are far and few between. But one way we do know that God can deliver is by the miraculous. And I believe that you and I can come to an understanding on this today, biblically. That certainly is one of the ways that God delivers. But there's a second, jot it down. God can and does deliver in a miraculous way, but he also delivers in a providential way. Jot that down. A second way I want you to consider is his working providentially. Now that's important because throughout history, listen to me, throughout history when we take our Bible, throughout history, more often than not, this is how God delivered. Much more volume here. And providential uh, I mean, delivering is really more of what we call ordinary delivering. Not ordinary in the outcome, but not overtly where there's some kind of supernatural, wow, did you see that sea part? Wow, did you see that little runt throw that sling and kill that big dude? Wow, when I went to bed last night, there was no flour, there was no oil, and now there is. Those are overt actions. Those are supernatural actions. But what about in those moments that so many well-defined and developed followers, we've learned to watch. We've learned to perceptively embrace them. These moments when we pay careful attention to accidents and misfortune and coincidences that befall us, but in reality, we know there's no such thing as just coincidence. There's only providential ordering of God who watches over his trusting and prayerful people. His amazing unseen hand guiding, guarding, arranging, and rearranging circumstances. In just a couple of weeks, I'm going to stand here in this immediate vicinity on a Saturday morning and I've been asked to speak at Sarah Troxell's memorial service. And one of the things I'm going to talk about during that memorial service is the amazing journey that Sarah took me on just in the last six, eight, nine months of her life. For you that are not here, Sarah Troxell was a lady in our church that just was so inspirational to us all. Typically, she'd be in a wheelchair over here, sometimes with a baritone if she had enough physical strength, but just one physical challenge after another for really the whole second part of her lifespan. Knocked down by physical, physical destruction over and over and over again. And that's one part that we can mention here a little later in the message that I still don't fully understand. Such an incredible godly woman. Why not that affliction fall on some pagan? Somebody that didn't have the fellowship and heart that Sarah Troxell had. 
But in one of my visits with Gary and Sarah, they, were, they had just delivered her oxygen tank. And she was kind of laughing about the fact that she said, you know, I, I don't even need oxygen at this point. I, they just want me to have it if I need it. She was trying to figure out. They were helping her get the hose around her nose. And she was saying, I don't need all that right now. And they said, yeah, put it on. We want you to. And so all that was going on. And, and, and I remember when I went home that night, I shared with my wife, Becky. I said, you, you know, um, the doctors are convinced that Sarah's going to need that oxygen. I said, I, I just hope all that the faithful witness that Sarah Troxell has been throughout all of her life, her service to the Lord. I just, I, I told Becky, I said, I'm going to start praying that the Lord will allow her to die a very peaceful death. And I began praying that. In fact, that was the second or third thing on my prayer list every single morning. And as I'd go by, a few days later, a week later, two weeks later, I began to notice that uh, Sarah became weaker and weaker and that oxygen became more important and more important to me or to her. And, and I was sharing with Becky, I, 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 I'm, I'm concerned. And Gary, when he called me just shortly after her death, and really a shock and surprise, not because she was in poor health, but because she died that quickly and his words over the phone pastor she died such a peaceful death and you know I, I guess a number of people could say here today well that's just coincidence but I know in my heart people praying for Sarah and asking God over and over and over I believe with everything in me. God accomplishes so much through just everyday, ordinary things. Charles Spurgeon said, and you listen to this amazing statement. He said, we believe in the providence of God, but we do not believe half enough in it. And so today, how does God deliver? God delivers often in a miraculous way, and other times in just a providential way. But jot down the third and final thing, God also delivers in mysterious ways. Now, I just want to give you a heads up on the front end of this. This is going to be a struggle. It's going to be a struggle to teach. It would be a struggle for anyone to share with you because it's a very difficult thing to define. But I would start by sharing in those moments that we have biblically recorded for us that God moves in mysterious ways. I share that with you by just saying there are certain days of our lives. If I held up a calendar of every day of your life, maybe some of you were here and you were born in 1943. Now if I had January through December 1943 and every day was recorded of your life there, 44, 45, all the way up to 2020, in doing so, I believe, and the Bible tells us and teaches us and shows us this is true, that there's certain days that God is going to mark across some of our days will explain later. Now, for you that are really in this this morning, you know what I just said is true. 
almost every one of you that have any span of life and existence. You know there's been these moments in your life that certain things have occurred in your life and there's only one way for you to explain them right now. God just took his instrument and spoke into your heart across that day of your life and he just wrote these three words, we'll explain later. Let me show you what I mean. Let me show you how the Bible communicates this to us. Would you turn to Hebrews chapter 11 quickly? Grab your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Got to hurry. Are, are you hurrying? Let your fingers, fingers do the walking. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, if you just look with me for a moment, verses 1 through 34, do you notice there that there are some incredible stories of deliverance? Look at what it says about, for instance, Abraham and some of the great great faithful servants of the Lord and how the Lord, what, what are we talking about this morning? How the Lord delivered. Deliverance. And it's an incredible chapter. In fact, I can't wait on Wednesday mornings at 1031. We're going through the book of Hebrews. We're going to get to this passage here in just oh, a few months. Just in a few months, we'll get there. Usually takes us a month or so or two months sometimes to get through one chapter. But all of a sudden, the brakes go on, and we get to verse 35. And read, read with me in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 35. And as I'm reading, you start to add this up and explain it. And then there were others. Hmm. Well, what does that tell us? It telegraphs to us that now, now there is what? Antonym. There is opposite. There is contrasting. The first 34 verses were kind of these success stories at least apparently, on the surface, successful. And then all of a sudden, and then there were the others. Boy, look at this description. There were the others that were tortured, <laughs> refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Look in verse 36. Some face jeers, some face flogging, and even chains of imprisonment. Look in verse 37. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. And they went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. Boy, doesn't that sound like a really exciting life of deliverance? Look in verse 38. And the world was not worthy of them. Boy, that's a statement. They wandered in the deserts and the mountains. Many times the Bible says they lived in caves and in holes in the ground. I would just suggest to you that when God does not deliver in a miraculous way, in an overt way, or in a covert way providentially, there are other times that he does move and deliver miraculously. Let me help you better understand I'm speaking here of a deeper level of intervention that you and I, at least on the surface, are not able to discern. In the end, there's a great plausibility, a possibility that we will better understand in the end. But I, I believe there are going to be some things in the end we still won't understand, but we're going to be so encompassed and so enveloped and so filled with worshiping God, those things will not even matter at that point. So explain to me this mystery. 
how God delivered some. Yes, they still physically died, but he delivered them. And yet there are these others that go through a tortured, indentured, terrible, physically demanding life. And you and I would have to stand back today and say, well, pastor, maybe the clue, maybe the clue is some were facing even a better resurrection. In other words, some suffering from the Lord Jesus and being persecuted and dying a horrendous death are better off if they had not. I think about the last letter of Paul when it comes to this mysterious way. The last writing of Paul. We know 2 Timothy was the last book that Paul ever wrote. If you want to hear his last words, you have to take the book of 2 Timothy. And it was interesting because Paul boasted in 2 Timothy, really, literally, that, that, that's, that's the word we use. He boasted in 2 Timothy 4.18. Listen to what he said. The Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. History tells us just a few hours later, they laid Paul's neck over a block and his head was dismembered from his body. History tells us, Josephus says, you know, it's interesting how they buried Paul. They rolled his body headless into a grave and then kicked his head into the grave as well. And I ask you on this Lord's Day, is that deliverance? And my friends, at least for me, I would have to say absolutely. Snatched away from evil that surrounded him, removed from tears and pain and stress and sickness, taken to a new place that Satan could no longer harass him, taken into the presence of the Lord is far, far better. But I ask you on this Lord's Day, maybe John 3.17 could be the very vortex if we were asking of God's mysterious ways. Jesus made this observation in John 13.7. Jesus said, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. One of my favorite Biblical, historical characters is Moses. That's why so often I, I, I just love speaking. One of my favorite evangelical characters of all the time is Vance Havner. Some of you in this room may have heard the great North Carolina evangelist preach sometime before his death in 1986. But prior to Havner's death... We know that one of the most devastating things that happened in his life was the, the, the very death of his wife, Sarah. I've shared with you before one of my favorite stories of Havner. Warren Wiersbe made the comment at one of the Moody Bible conferences shortly after Sarah's death. Shared this to Vance. Said, Vance, uh, man, we're just so sorry that Sarah is lost. And Havner just immediately had an incredible response. Oh, Sarah's not lost. 
But Havner records 14 months after her death when he really was starting to able, he just loved her so much. After 56 years of incredible marriage, his beloved Sarah was, in his words, taken from me into the presence of the Lord. But Havner wrote these words. I want you to listen to them. Just months after his wife's death, he said, When before the throne we stand in him complete, all the riddles that puzzle us here will fall into place, and we shall know in fulfillment what we now believe in faith, that all things work for the good of his eternal purpose. Havner says, no longer will we cry, my God, why? Instead, alas, we'll become hallelujah. All question marks will be straightened out as exclamation points. Sorrow will change to singing, and pain will be lost in praise. My friends, let me tell you something. You and I can trust God. We can trust him to save and deliver us from evil work and to protect us from, for, for his heavenly kingdom. And he will save you in one of three ways. He will save us and deliver us either through the miraculous, through the providential, or through mysterious ways. But he always delivers. He always delivers his children. That, my friends is our God's specialty. Aren't you thankful today for a God that delivers? Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, we thank you for these few moments in your word. We come today just as we have sung, just as I am, just as we are. Before our Lord and Savior today, on this day, having communion with our Lord, on this day, being able to take this time and refocusing on God's incredible deliverance. Heavenly Father, would there be a heart today that is heavy and broken from, from some physical malady? Would there be someone in the presence of this sanctuary today that is struggling with a broken relationship? And at this moment, they see no way out. Would there be someone here today in financial peril, in marital strife, in parental exhaustion that is just crying out to you from their heart of hearts, Lord, deliver me. Lord, do not forget me. Lord, here I am. And so, Father, just as we have sung today, we come before you just as we are. Just as I am. Just as we each are. Humbled, your servants. Father, today we thank you as we're able to put in our tool chest another principle to be rekindled for the journey. How God supernaturally delivers his people in the face of of great challenge. Father, we love you and worship you. In these things we pray in Jesus' name, amen.